that was a, that was a nice clap, dude. You're practicing. Every time you do that, I can tell this room needs acoustic treatment. You hear the because it the ring smatters around. All right, well, well, my hearing's <laughs> not that good. <laughs> I'm like welcome. False, false start. False clap. start. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> welcome everyone. Welcome to the Tabernacle Podcast. Uh, we are Tabernacle Worship. We're the worship department, the worship ministry, Trinity Fellowship Church based in Amarillo, Texas. We are one church with many campuses. We have several physical campuses around Texas, and then we also have an amazing online campus. I am Teal Merrick. This is Phil King. Hey, this Phil. is Stephen Ronk. Hey. We are all on staff here at Trinity Fellowship, and we can't do this podcast without Trinity Fellowship. So, Amen. Yeah. So, Thank you, TFC. Now... Mm-hmm. Glad to be here. We are getting to jump back in after a little bit of a, a we had a two week break. Um, and we're here now to jump right back into why lyrics matter. And part, yeah, four. part, four. part four. This is the fourth part with what? no real end in sight. <laughs> um, so we're just going to jump right into it. Philip Charles uh, Thaddeus King. Man, man. That's my name. Man. Go ahead and royal, let's, royal let's launch All right. into this. How's everybody doing? So I noticed on the last podcast when I listened, I was kind of mumbling a little bit, so I'm going to try to do better to <laughs> move my <laughs> mouth while I'm talking. Well, that camera's uh, really close to your face. It'd be... <laughs> yes. <laughs> do a lot of, you can do it's a like lot a, of John Mayer. A zoom. <laughs> it's like, I, I like what you sound like, but I can't watch you. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this is All falling right. right off the cliff. Well, okay. Let's jump into so it. So we're jumping back into it. Sorry, guys. We had uh, my worst nightmare of everyone in our household getting sick in layers. So that's why I was gone. Glad to be back. Thankful to be back. <clears throat> Pretty cool. So we talked a little bit when I was last here about not so great songs and kind of the ethereal, moody soulish sometimes sensual actually i'll say very sensual Mm. um side of lyrics that has over time made its way into the church as far as what we're singing Uh, i think Mm. a lot of songs today if you were to try to insert them into hymnals from the 1950s and before or 60s and before uh it wouldn't happen you would be shocked uh and so it's like, why is that? You know, you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of sound theology and incredible rock-solid lyrics being sung by the church, and all of a sudden in the last couple decades, it's like, boom. You know, you just have this explosion. So mm-hmm. we talked a lot about that, and um, that kind of leads us into what I was mentioning, and we kind of jumped around in the last podcast. We're going to do our best to keep on track for our listeners here. And thank you for listening. We love having you guys here and it's cool to see all the comments um and what you guys say and hey comment get involved with the conversation if you have questions hit us up uh we're not experts but we're learning just like you guys are and we really love studying this so it's it's worth it um and i say we're not experts but we do do this a lot so that's why we're doing this anyways um so we talked about king david a little bit and what i kind of wanted to touch on was King David, I did this amazing research study, and Talon, if you do want to put up, it is on slide, I believe, 28. There is a link to this. If you want to go look at it yourself, it's phenomenal. Somebody took the time and actually put in chronological order 
every psalm that David wrote. So it's not wow. like Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, like in our Bible. Um, and I believe the book of Psalms is actually broken up in three or four sections. Five books. Oh, there's five. Five, yeah, five. five. Wow, I didn't know that. There's the Psalms of Ascent, then there's diff- there's just different kinds, and there's a section where it's mostly Asaph and the sons of Korah, then uh-huh. there's sections where it's a lot of David. So there's a modern way that it's broken up, but somebody went beyond that and said, I want to take the life of David in song that we have record of and go front to back. And it's amazing. And this really all started, uh, I believe, when God struck Uzzah, who was um, uh, one of David's homies that was assigned to take the ark from, was it Shiloh? Was that where the ark was at before David came and got it? Uh, it was, so you got it back from the Philistines, right? Yes. And then it was stationed at, at someone's house. Uh, no, that Obed-Edom. was, Obed-Edom was after this incident happened. So anyways, wherever the Ark was. It was from the Philistines to yes. Obed-Edom's house, I believe. No, no, Is, no. Right? No? Uh-uh. Okay. It was, it went to Shiloh first. Cause remember they sent it back on a cart and it just went and they're like, if, if it goes to this place, then we'll know that God has been the one that's been striking us with all of these tumors and all that crazy stuff that was going on. So anyways, from somewhere in the land of Israel that was on the border with Philistia, uh, David, <laughs> that's, that's its the proper pronunciation. Best I can do. Um, David puts in a request and says, hey, I want to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. So he goes and he gets the ark. Well, as they're walking along, trotting along, they put the ark on a cart, which was not the right way to do it. Uh, Uzzah reached out because the ark was coming off of the cart to steady it and to hold it up, which seems like a good thing, right? Seems like a great thing. Well, up until that point, what the Israelites had been doing, all of it was a no-no. They had not been carrying the ark the right way, transporting it the right way, doing it God's way. And Uzzah, a man, reached out and touched God's holy presence that was on the ark, in the ark, around the ark. And it was a beautiful thing, a lot going on there that we get in another episode, or probably already has been covered on this episode. God kills Uzzah just right there, just strikes him, and he's gone. And then at that point is when they say, hey, house of Obedidim, we happen to be here on your property. Mm. Can we park this thing here while we figure this out? So David goes back to Jerusalem calls all the scribes up, and is like, hey, what was that all about? And so they start digging up the covenant that God gave to Moses at Sinai, which is what we're all about here. That's why we're called Tabernacle. It's why we do the Tabernacle flow. And as he does this research, all of a sudden he realizes, oh, my goodness, yes, I love God so much. My heart loves the Lord, but I've not been worshiping him in his prescribed way in the way that he wants to be worshiped. So what you see there as David starts digging up scripture, starts researching uh, the way that God wants to be worshiped as he gave to Moses, as he presented himself on Mount Sinai, all of a sudden David's songs start to change and the tone starts to change and the posture starts to change. The reverence starts to change. The holiness starts to change. And Psalm 97 is one of the four psalms that David wrote once the ark was returned to Jerusalem. So there were four psalms that he wrote for the occasion, specifically for, he wrote four songs for when the ark finally came to Jerusalem. And 
when you read Psalm 97, which is on slide 28, it is phenomenal. Like the tone, it's it's so much of it could be actually that huge Michael W. Smith worship album. This was part of what was read when they were singing Let It Rain. You know, that guy with that big South African accent comes up and he starts with the Lord reigns, blah, blah, blah. Let the earth be glad. The mountains melt like wax, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Well, he was actually reading from the psalm that David wrote on the presence of God being stationed in Jerusalem, coming to its rightful place, to Zion. So, super, super Mm. cool. So anyways, what I did here is I put um, on the slide before the first psalm that David wrote, which is Psalm 39, first song he ever wrote, which would have been after Samuel had anointed him. And I compared it, contrasted it to the last psalm David wrote. Some believe these were some of his last words. So Psalm 138 versus Psalm 39, and that's on slide 27, Talon. But there is a stark difference. And a lot of it, I believe, is what we were talking about in the episode before. And two things I want to say is if God killed Uzzah to send David the message, and this is David, like the psalmist, the sweet psalmist shepherd of Israel, the one that, you know, the Messiah, Jesus, would be called the son of, the son of David. If God was willing to correct him that strongly, and we see this at other points in his life too, um, over how he was worshiping the Lord, what makes us think that we don't get that as well? What makes us think that we shouldn't be and at any point, examining how we're coming to God in worship, that is such a big uh, question. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, the second thing is, if this affected David the way that it did, that we can see lyrically based on this study, which is phenomenal. You should all go look this up and look up that link and go check it out. Shouldn't we also, as we grow in Jesus and grow up in the Lord, shouldn't that be playing out? in our songs as well. Um, so anyways, I'll just kind of pause it there. I've been talking a while, just kind of setting this up, setting us up for today. Um, but basically it just brings up one more thing too. Uh, that's on this picture with Uzzah. Not all acts of worship are sanctioned or approved of by God. Sure. And that's crazy. Like to think, I could be in something that I think is a worship service or moment or environment or even in an arena and God's up there like no. And what's crazy is, is based on the story of uh, the sons of Eli, it says when they showed up at the camp, if you go and look in first Samuel, when they showed up at the camp with the ark of God, which is when it was lost, that's the moment when it was given to the Philistines. Mm-hmm. When God was like, peace out, and Ichabod was born, and Ichabod means um, the glory has departed. The glory of God's presence has left us. When Eli's son showed up to the camp, there was a loud roar, such a loud thunder and shouts of praise that it, it says it actually scared the Philistines, and they said, oh no, God's shown up, we're, we're, we're done. And what that communicates to me is we have a lot of loud roars in worship today, loud moments, loud, big, bad, awesome worship things. But God could, like, not be for it. Sure, sure. Which is crazy. But he's so holy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's many like <laughs> things we could jump off into. Um, yeah. So, sorry to answer my. Uh, uh, to answer your question earlier, it, it was uh, Bela. Bela. Curious. That's right. Jerim, uh, it's right on the border there. There were two roads, and it went to Bela, mm-hmm. and it, and the the oxen. Right there, and then that's yes. where the, the the incident happened. Uh-huh. Um, what um, incident? When they the, where they retrieved the ark from? Oh, okay. So it was a border town. Sent the ark from yeah. Philist- so mm-hmm. let me Philistine? get this straight. They put the ark with no driver. No driver. No driver. Two oxen. And just let the oxen go. Yes. Uh-huh. Let them go. Pointed them towards what Israel. Was their, what was their purpose in doing that? Uh, they had been. Uh, if it the, went they right had had to Bela, then so they were gonna, yeah. Just to just so that we're all on the same page here. The the Philistines were having their whole world wrecked by owning and having stolen or i guess taken they they stole the ark of the covenant Mm -hmm. it's in their camp this was kind of their big like hey we got you we we took all your power what's happening to the philistines that eventually they're like get this thing out of here so first they put in the (laughs) temple of molech and when they put the ark of the covenant in molech they show up after night one and dagon no dagon and Dagon is face down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and towards the ark. Well, they prop him back up. Next day they come in, he's face down again, and his arms and his legs are off. Yep. So they can't even stand him back up. Well, they didn't read they you know, didn't get the clue. Well then God starts breaking out against them and the the cities around them because they actually tried passing the ark around within Philistia to to see if okay maybe it'll be okay if we go here well in every place where they set the ark of the covenant everyone got tumors like horrible tumors oh my everybody instant which you know we would call cancer everyone immediately got life-threatening cancer illness god started breaking out against everybody so actually um and I think there was a plague of rats as well. Yeah, because the golden rats. The, they yeah. put yeah, they put. What did you say? Rats. <laughs> golden rats. <laughs> Hold up. No, they put golden rats. <laughs> this Hold is the up. Bible, y'all. Hold uh, up. <laughs> golden rats. How is this the first time that I'm hearing about Ronk golden jumped, rats? Ronk jumped yeah. the gun there. Sorry, so sorry. Yes, yes. That was yes. the that was the pen, penitence offering that the Philistines offered. So they put. On, on this cart oxen, yeah, the, of the oxen, they said, okay, if this goes right, turns right, and goes to Bela, then we'll know this was God and we're forgiven. If it goes left, then that would be like, okay, we're screwed and there's nothing we can do about this. And God's just, we're done. So anyways, they load up as a, as an offering, as a guilt offering to the best. They didn't know what to do. You know, they're not God's people. They don't have the law. So they put, they, they, they made gold tumors, five of them mm-hmm. and five gold rats What? as, as like solid golden gold. tumors. Yeah. Like they made tumors. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Yeah. They fashioned them, put them on the cart. Okay. As a, Hey, we're sorry. Like <laughs> gesture. Let's hold up about 18 seconds here. Because <laughs> this is <laughs> two. This is just the wildest thing. And I know that I th- I think I've heard about this, but this is definitely like, what page did I skip? Okay, so just just for reference here, <laughs> if you if you're curious if the Bible is boring, this is your clue that it is not. Okay, people fashioned golden tumors. 
I don't even know what that l- looked like. Like a, a little yeah. brain. Can, I, I just th- it cracks me up thinking about the Philistines doing their best. Yeah. To try and like to get this thing. Well, you, you think about how they related to to Dagon or or their pantheon of gods. I'm sure there was some sort of like if something comes against you, you you offer it back to the gods or you make some replica of it and bring it to the temple and some, some sort of, of like some sort worship. of you know. But there was uh, a there was a real plague of rats. Yes, right? real yes. plague of rats and, and real my, real tumors. That my were, brain that were when unleashed. you said golden rats, my brain literally went to. Well, some people translate tumors something different too. They translate <laughs> to to what? Uh, uh, to hemorrhoids. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. No, they were saying hemorrhoids. Oh my gosh! I've clicked this on the gone. hyperlink before, and I remember Most thinking people translate in my mind, hemorrhoids, "Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. everyone's bowels." It's fascinating. Yeah. You know, oh you, my gosh. So not dude. even golden I feel tumors, like I am, but a golden hemorrhoid. <laughs> I feel like I am getting complete. Like this is like, yeah. I so, turned off the VHS is, tape early. And this is the beer. Like, catch this part of the movie. The Ron Wyatt tape. This is unreal. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. This, this all dude, leads you up didn't to know this. No. This, this all, <laughs> oh my gosh. This all leads up what? to that uh, to that moment though, where where the cart it comes back to Israel. Which is why God would have been angry because the Israelites just continued carrying God's presence the way that the Philistines returned it. If that makes sense, there's a picture thereof. That's pretty interesting. They, they might not about. have even taken it off the cart. Like it was on the same cart. So they're like, cool. This thing just because yeah, okay, this will so work. I just need a little more clarification. Yeah. This thing just traveled by oxen until the Israelites ran into it? No, actually, there were men plowing a field about, I think, I don't know if there's a number, but there were men plowing a field, and when they they looked up, they saw it coming over the hill, and the Israelites were like, oh, my gosh. But So these farmers found it. It just is going by itself. all by itself. This is so wild. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Totally on its own. That is so nuts. <laughs> Just set the oxen off and here. And as go. soon as it crosses go. over in Israelite territory, the Philistines are like, sweet, we're good. And then all of them are all of a sudden better. Because we see in the life of Saul and David, there's obviously Philistines left that are fighting. So, And, and what's crazy is, is like, if you put a timeline to this, it would have explained a lot of like why, I don't know, Goliath would have been so angry at, I mean, can you imagine him as a little giant baby and all of a sudden he has major hemorrhoids? I mean, I'd be mad. You know, I'd have a grudge against that God. You know, like there's there's a lot. That's pretty, there's, that's pretty interesting. Is, there's a lot was going on this, there. But. Yeah, so this, this would have been, I, I mean... I believe it was years because if it's if it's the life if it's based on Eli and the day that he died, David probably not born yet. This incident, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, this incident. Well, but David, then David retrieved it years later. Saul never took interest in the presence of God coming back. He just left it where it was. I never realized that, that yes. there was a period of time in between yes. when when the when they yes. went and retrieved it. So it's huge. Interesting. Okay. That's one of the ways that David, I believe, he huh. he earned so much favor with God. Was he's like, I'll go get God's. I'll go, I'll go retrieve the ark. So hold up, this man. Sorry, we're we're no going. no no. This is this <laughs> is fantastic. But just to just to clarify, the timeline. Yeah. 
Philistines have it. Is David around at this period in time? Might not be. If he was, he was tiny. Okay. So Philistines take it. They send it on the magical oxen cart. It, Samuel was young when this happened. Okay, so it who's who like just the Israelite people find the ark. Yeah. Rolling around. Yeah, and they just it's just parked in Bela, which I believe is near Shiloh. They just parked it. Okay. Just parked it there. What the heck? Yeah. And then and then there were people that would My brain go, is melting. Go up to it. And there were actually priests and or some some form of priesthood that actually served and kept watch over it while it was where it was at. And that's that's where David goes. And he's bringing it back. And as he's bringing it back, he's bringing it back in the same fashion. And if you remember in Exodus, the Lord said to the Israelites, when you enter the land I'm giving you, you are not to worship me in the same way that pagans worship their gods. Very explicit command there. And in doing this, this this was a huge violation of how God wanted his presence to be carried. And so Uzzah is gone. Boom. And well, so hang on before yeah. we... This is interesting because <clears throat> that point is over and over and over and over and over again emphasized throughout yeah. the book of Exodus where God yes. is reminding the Israelites because they're coming from, you know, let's roll the tape back. They're coming out of Egypt and they've, they've lived in Egypt for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. A lot of ancestors have come and gone in their time. So they've adopted the, um, yeah, they've, they've adopted a lot of things from the Egyptians, including probably how to worship their gods and God over and over again is telling them, do not worship me the way you worship them. Telling them don't make avatars, don't make little, you know, tchotchkes of me. Don't make little wooden figurines. Like I'm not, Uh that's not how I function. And so it's interesting that this is like, because, okay, so here's yeah. my other point. As you're talking through this, I even think that it's worth discussing or even reframing. Did God kill Uzzah or was Uzzah's casualty because of, look, I told you what the presence was. God wasn't waiting and been like, if he touches it, mm-hmm. ah, you're gone. You know, does that make sense? Like, yeah. I'm, I, the, it, like, like oh, plutonium. Yeah. So, yeah. like, if you go out in the middle of a tornado, and you get sucked up and blown away, and someone's like, "Man, yeah, tornadoes yeah. are jerks. They, yeah. it, they, it, they hunted. They, they killed my friend. No, well, your friend wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like, you weren't playing by the rules. You know, God had, and I guess some of this too goes back to the responsibility of who's caravanning this Ark of the Covenant from one place to the next is like you said, if these are on the shoulders of guys, it's not tipping over Mm -hmm. because the men carrying it function like the shocks on a vehicle does. But if this thing's on a cart, you know, and you roll down in a ravine, it's kind of like, it's going to fall off, Uh, which I can't even imagine what would have happened if it like, dude, (laughs) falls off and opens up and right. I mean, news it took one for the team. I mean, we've seen Indiana Jones, you know, when they (laughs) crack open the the Ark of the Covenant, (laughs) dude, that scene haunts me still as a child. We saw that in Indiana The melted candle, man. Oh, man. Anyways, but that's like, that's an interesting Mm -hmm. point is that 
I don't even know if it's necessarily accurate to say God killed Uzzah because right. Uzzah did a wrong thing. Right. This whole, the whole party transporting is responsible for Uzzah's death. Uzzah's a casualty of the disobedience and the carelessness, which I'm not trying to work us into this, but I'm thinking through if we are careless with the presence of God, if we're careless with what our role is, there is there can be fallout. Not that it all hinges on us, but I'm sure those guys transporting were just like, yeah, just, that's fine. That's sure. how it showed up. It was on a cart. Great. Just keep great. So it's oxen are here. The whole thing. Let's yeah. Just keep the whole culture and the whole like their their whole cumulative belief system was was wrong, or, or it had slowly kind of mm-hmm. been shifted. It wasn't like it was just out of out of out of nowhere that Uza Which decided that's to do today. something crazy. You know, that was like way against anything that anybody else was doing. He was yeah. just. He was just the one who, who you plug in to... anybody in his spot, they're going to do the exact same thing. Right, right. You know, the the ark should have never been, or the presence of God should have never been in that position in the first place. For sure, because it was being it was it was incorrectly being transported. Yeah, from the get go. Right. right. And sorry, it should no, never the... it should never been presumptively lost either to the Philistines yeah. in the first place, which is what even so all the way back to the original reason it was well, lost in the first the, place is God's presence goes away. And they lose context of what it's like to be in the presence of God. Sure. For you lose a long context of, of reverence, of fear, awe, wonder. You lose the context of that. So when it shows up, you're like, oh, hey, there's that uh, golden thing that grandpa always used to talk about, or, you know, great grandpa yeah. used to talk about. Like, okay, cool. I guess we'll take that back to, you know, wherever. Mm. But like the, the absence of it kind of aided in this concept of them not being able to understand sure. the, the importance or the, the, the severity connected to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is what it goes back to. And I would like to relate this to the church today where we're at because there's a great lesson learned here. But it all started with Eli. Yeah. This problem here, if you go back a couple generations, started with Eli not rebuking and correcting his sons. Um and the Lord actually, through Samuel, uh, said that to Eli. Now, for our listeners, will you give a brief summary of yes, that absolutely. situation? So Eli was the high priest in the line of Aaron. So he's in Aaron's seat, which was, you know, we all know Moses and he's Aaron. He's an OG. Yeah, yeah. And his sons, was it, were his names Hopney? Hopney and Phineas? No, that's um. That's the. Those are the Egyptian guys, the bad. Well, the sons of Eli. I need to look this up real quick because it'll help. Eli names. Names of Eli's sons. Yeah, Hopney and Phineas. Hey, Boom. You know it. You know it. Wow. That's, how do I know that? That's that's, that's weird. That's good. But anyways, um, <laughs> so Hopney and Phineas were casual around the presence of God. And it actually says that when people would bring their food offerings to God, um, they would purposefully tell people, hey, that we want that cut of meat right there. And they would continually go after, this is in the Bible, the, the best fattened portions of, of meat, which belonged to the Lord, mm-hmm. and which really they weren't supposed to be eating. Um, and also the girls that would come to the tabernacle that they were interested in 
they just would hook up with them and yeah. they would do that they there was there was promiscuity and greed happening in the presence of god oh man continually um this doesn't ne- feel like uh, near god's that's happening in the church currently at all yeah like right near god's presence syncretism and Syncretism? You know, Syncretism? And that a word? <laughs> Eli, what's a bummer? What's a bummer is like Eli seems like a great dude from what I can tell. He seems like the real deal. He seems like the OG that's been holding it down for a long time. But his error was, according to the Lord, you did not step up and rebuke them. And 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 it actually says that he verbally did confront them. But what I believe the Lord wanted him to do was get them out, remove them from the priesthood, remove them from the priesthood entirely. And because of that situation, that's how we end up where we're at right here. And David, what the life of David and what David did that was special was although he didn't do it perfectly. And if you look up the scripture, it actually does say. And to your point, though, the tornado thing is is very real. But it, the scripture actually does say the Lord broke out against Uzzah, and he was like, "You mm. yep. okay?" Then <laughs> yeah, then disregard. But that. but to that point, though, you get too close to a swirling thing, you know, three hundred miles an hour. What do you, what do you expect? Sure. So, um, S- still the carelessness. Yes. Of it is the. Like God wasn't looking for someone to strike, but the carelessness that had broken out amongst the people is what essentially led to that. Right, right. Dude, but we see it today, which I'm going to go, I'm just going to go this direction. We see people overnight disappear in ministry or overnight just take a hard left. Yeah. Overnight their whole legacy is gone overnight they're on the news and this thing of carelessness about the presence of god is still so real paul actually upped the game jesus upped the game peter upped the game and said uh if if we if we're doing this to the cross in the new covenant and the, and they reference you know and God did this with the old like yeah what in the world is there to keep us after we've you know mocked the cross basically yeah so I think it's um, actually more serious now than it is than it used to be under the old covenant um, you know we read these things and we're like whoa you know but I think that there's there still is. And there's actually a more serious responsibility as ministers of the new covenant. Do we have all of these things and clothing items and ways we have to do this and that? No, not really. You know, Jesus tore the veil and now, now we're the temple, mm-hmm. but because we're the temple, it's like my thoughts, my actions, my words, everything matters so much um, For sure. in keeping this in order. So, and that's going to come out in my songs, and that's going to come out in my decisions, my choices, how I treat people, you know, um, lead people. So anyway, sorry we <laughs> go a little deep there, but no, that's good. That's good. Um, it's still happening today, you know. Well, it, gosh, it really when is. you when you talk about 
Eli's sons, it makes me think of things that you see happening in the modern church right now. I mean, big time. Those two guys using their authority to take the best of what they want to manipulate people around them, to yeah. be flippant with God's grace, to be careless with it, to be promiscuous, like all mm-hmm. those things. This is a very real mm-hmm. parallel Sexual to what's promiscuity current. Yeah, I mean, too, my like gosh, the, man, the it's happening. Looking like the people around you. Yes. That's a and blurring <laughs> those lines. Like that. Uh, <clears throat> those, those sons, the thing that separates them is what they refuse to take part in. So the difference between them being the priests is what separates them from, from being priests from the people on the outside of the temple is what they refuse to take part in. If you take part in all the same stuff that they do, you're no different. And so that's a part of it is like, even if you take this to a bigger global picture, our call as Christians are becoming children of God is what we are choosing to not take part in. Sure. Absolutely. That's good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that, that I think is the interesting thing to me is that it wasn't that one day they woke up and they were like, Hey, let's hook up with some chicks at the temple. It was that over time, mm-hmm. that permissiveness of it's not that big of a deal. It's, you know, it's, you know, like, hey, you know, someone chose not to, like, why are you talking to her? <laughs> right. Why right. are we all over there talking separately? Why are you, you know, we're not supposed to take that. There are separate offerings that are given to us for sustenance. Why are you taking that? It's right. not that big of a deal. Like, <laughs> yeah. Their choice to do all the things that the people on the outside of the temple are doing is what lumps them in with all those other people. Really? You know what I'm saying? Yes. I, 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 yes. I'm, I'm being, I want to be careful not to say like other people like that, people who work in church. It's not even having to do with people who work in church. I want, even, I want to get that out of our vernacular period. We're all priests. If I'm a Christian, yep. if I have professed sure. Christ yep. uh, and I need Christ and I've accepted him into my life and I want to live his way, doesn't matter if I work here, if I work at a bank, whatever. I am laying down my preferences, and I'm withholding myself from all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's not that big of a deal. Go have a conversation. Absolutely not. My choice to follow Christ is there's a huge distinction of things I refuse to take part in. Absolutely. That's, And I'm not saying that's the only distinction, but it's a huge distinction, right? Sure. Very huge. The difference between a high priest and the people that the high, that, that need the high priest are the things the high priest refuses to take part in. For sure. Why don't you just come grab a bite to eat? No. My job is here. The Lord will provide. I'll eat the showbread and there will be offerings giving that'll be taken, uh, that'll get taken care of in those kinds of ways. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that to me is what makes me think of in this situation is that that line began to get blurred. And more and more those sons, and probably those people around him, because you're not going to surround yourselves with people who follow the rules if that's the case, right? You're going to surround yourself with more and more permissive people that aren't going to check you, you know? Mm-hmm. And over time, it becomes normal in the temple to behave this way until one day the Lord shows up and says, there were lots of opportunities. I warned you. Yep. And now we're going to clean this whole thing up. There's going to be some sort of judgment or some sort of like you know Absolutely. strong reaction against Uzzah. Uh, mm-hmm. All this had played into that permissiveness step by step, mm-hmm. generation by generation. To all of a sudden, it was like in a way, God was know, like, "We're uh, done with this." Yeah. So was yeah. all this the lines here? Yeah. You, you've crossed it. <laughs> so was uh, all this stuff with Eli's sons? Like that all is happening. Do the Philistines 
capturing the arc happen after this. Let me read and this at paragraph. The same this might time. this might help like summarize kind of what we talked about yeah. and, and put into perspective the, the whole chronology. Uh, it's from a commentary on First Chronicles on the passage where uh, First Chronicles thirteen where David brings the ark back or is, is starting to uh, to bring the ark back. Uh, the ark had originally been housed in Shiloh, the central sanctuary of Israel, That's before it. Saul's reign, but was lost to the Philistines in the infamous battle of First, First Samuel four, where they sent the ark out. Uh, presumptuously thinking that the Philistines would, would be defeated because the ark was there, but oh. God had, had removed his his protection and his wow. presence with the ark. Um, after like, seven uh-uh. months, it was promptly returned. So there was a seven-month period where it was in the Philistine camp, promptly returned to the Israelites because of the toll it was taking on the Philistine idols and people. Uh, in First Samuel 5 and 6 talks about this. The Philistines sent it off to the Israelite town of Beth Shemesh on a new cart pulled by cows, Several Israelites at Beth Shemesh were struck down for looking upon the ark, so they sent it off to Kiriath-Jerim, right, to, to the house of Abinadab, Indiana Jones, who, who constructed his or who consecrated constructed who consecrated his son Eleazar to superintend its care. This is in First Samuel seven. There it remained until David brought it to Jerusalem. So for a long time, it stayed in the house of of and uh, Eleazar took care of the ark. Uh, until we get to Second Samuel. To transport the ark, however, people appeared to follow the precedent set by the Philistine priests, uh, placing the ark on a, again on a new cart uh-uh. in First Chronicles 13.7. Guiding the cart were Uzzah and Ahio? <laughs> Ohio? <laughs> the, sons of, <laughs> the sons of Abinadab, who had established a thrine for the ark at Kiriath-Jerim. The chronicler, chronicler describes the scene as one of great joy and worship as David and all of Israel celebrated passionately with a variety of musical instruments, a foreshadowing of the musical tone of David's worship in the chapters that will follow. So before they got it right, they were still passionately worshiping <laughs> with all their emotions and all their might before oh, the Lord, uh, but they were doing it wrong. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, that one gave me the That's chills scary. a little bit. But First Chronicles 15 talks about after he had gone back and 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 pulled up the um, mosaic regulations for worship. He brings the Levites with him, and, and retrieves the ark, um, and does it right with the same fanfare and the same volume, the same musical accompaniment. But this time, it's approved by the Lord, and this time, um, the Lord blesses him, and he comes back. And that's where the famous incident with with Saul's daughter, where she calls him a fool uh, for dancing. But they came the first time with tons of zeal and tons of passion, tons of emotion. Uh, but it was, it was wrong. I'm I'm so blown away by them sending out the ark uh, and trying to manipulate the presence of God to defeat the Philistines, and God's like, I don't do that. Yeah, I love the ark. You're not going to use me uh, that <sighs> way. And this was right after. It's what Phil was talking about with Hophni and Phineas. This was right after that. Um, well, yeah. So they would. So okay. So that, that's the thing I was trying to clear up. So this permissiveness is going on in the temple. Not which in the temp- le- tabernacle. In the tabernacle. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, it, so that's happening, which leads them to misuse the presence of God of like, yeah, just send out the, the, just send out the cart mm-hmm. and it'll knock them out. But I think that is what I'm fascinated by is that two things. Let me, I'm, I'm, let me get my thoughts together. Two things. They're, they were still able to carry a certain amount of authority, even though they were improperly manipulating the presence of God, which I think is a curious thing because I think lots of times it's like, well, if I was doing the wrong thing, then I wouldn't still be doing this. 
the Lord's kind. Years. You know what I'm, sa- you know what I'm saying? Like he that's do it for years. Years this is yeah. going on where the Lord's not like, hey, first time you screwed up, hey, get them out of here. Uh-huh. But that that transpired over a long period of time, yep. and then and over that period of time you lose fear, awe, and reverence of the presence of God. And so then when you need it, you're like, yeah, yeah, let's just do a revival. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, mm. I'm paraphrasing into modern day terms. Let's just do a big event. Let's invite in a big artist. Let's bring in a big speaker. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that, that, yeah. that, and I'm, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to throw shade on the, the modern church. I'm just, it's concerning to me because you don't those two those two sons probably at the time didn't realize how mixed up in it that they were it just happens a little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit and then you wake up one day and it's like oh my gosh hmm. you know what i'm saying like yeah. we we could name 10 or 15 major evangelists of the last 20 years it was death by a thousand paper cuts until one day they woke up and it was like a voice of reason came in and said, absolutely not. There's mm. the line. Yeah. yeah. You've now crossed it. Or CNN. For sure. And then yeah. Some, yeah, for the, sure. there's almost like a moment of like, finally, when a voice of correction steps in and says, you're not going to go any further. It's like the veil's lifted from your eyes and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. What have I done? What have I done? Mm-hmm. What have I been doing? Which is kind of yeah. what happened to David in that moment. And my second thing to this that I think is, and, and I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot. The role of the father, Eli not stepping into his role as a father, set this whole thing into motion. I'm not going to say it all sits on Eli, but the role of being a dad, the role of being a father, the role of being the spiritual leader of your home is no slouch gig. It's a Mm -hmm. really big deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Eli knew somewhere inside of him, I need to correct this. I need to deal with this. But what I would guess is that Eli's lackadaisical parenting was death by a thousand paper cuts as well. Not addressing something. Can't talk like that. Can't act like that. You have to do these. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, till eventually you get to this point where you're like, I don't know, man, like, it's just too much work. Like, I'm not going to mess with it. Right. Right. Um, I'm not even, i I'm too exhausted. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I don't you know, even know too, where to we're start. Too far, too far Cause down. we've gotten so far, you know, you know what I'm saying? So just for more context with, there was a cauldron that was used in the tabernacle to, obviously it's not one of the items like what's on your shirt, but they would, um, <laughs> great shirt, by the way, plug. Little plug right there. <laughs> slash shop. Tabernacle merch. <laughs> um, NBD. But they would, the, the cauldron was used to boil the meat before it was presented to the Lord. And it was like God's cauldron. It was like this, this dish here belongs to Jesus and it's Jesus's offering his food. Don't touch it. Hophni and Phineas would regularly go over with forks. I'll take that. Oh my gosh, man. <laughs> Taking what was theirs, dude. And they had Taking what tons, wasn't theirs. Tons that was, you know. So, and, and what else is interesting too is it says when Eli. A lot Eli, to be learned from this. Yeah. When Eli died, it says he was old, he couldn't walk, and he couldn't see. He'd become blind over time. 
which is very prophetic. Sure. And it says when they brought the news to him, your sons have died and the ark has been lost. It says he fell over backwards and broke his neck and died. That's how he died. Oh, my gosh. But what's interesting about that, though, is the Lord let Eli reign, so to speak, as a priest up until the very end. He gave him his whole lifespan. And I believe if he would have, you know, kicked him out and taken care of his sons, cool, someone else would have stepped in. But the Lord was like, I'm not willing to pass, let the priesthood be passed on to these jerks. Like, mm-hmm. no way. Uh, God is so patient. But I've said this to you before. Uh, maybe you've heard me say this wrong, but every now and then someone will pop up and I'm like, whoa, I don't, that's not right. You know, and you see someone in the church and you're like, that's weird. That's not right. And I go, 10 years. I'll just say 15 years. Give them 20 years. You know, because God's, if people don't change their ways and get right, it it will catch up with them. Mm-hmm. And we see that in scripture over and over and over. And the crazy thing is, is the the FBI is not in charge of bringing correction to the church. The Lord can use the FBI, but the Lord himself steps in and takes care of business. And that's something I never want to be on the bitter end of that stick. Like, no, thank you. Um, and I think what these guys lost was that what we're talking about, you're probably feeling it right now. Is if you're listening, the fear of the Lord mm-hmm. um, is a very wonderful, wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it, it makes is. me think of too, is, is like, absolutely. what it makes me think of too, is that all of us, at some point in our lives are on the end of that stick. It just depends. You know, you know, with your own dad, there were moments where he'd give you a look and that was warning one. Eh. And Hopefully it works. And then he'd get up and that was warning two. Uh-oh. And then there'd be a point where he'd unlatch his belt, show's over. Last, yeah, yeah. That was it. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I pull the belt out, the belt can't go back in. Right. It's like when a cop starts writing the ticket, like it's already done, show's over. So my point being is that the it's not, you know, our dads are kind and gracious. And like the word says, if if your father's being wicked, know how to give good gifts. Good dads are going to give you a few, a few warnings. I want to, I'm not just going to, you know, mm-hmm. pull the belt out first thing without even telling you, hey, let's not, let's not do that. Right. But there's all these, and event, and what I think too, what I think is important for us to always remember the Lord loved Eli. Mm-hmm. The Lord loved his sons. So it wasn't this point where it's like, these idiots, like, can't. There was a part of the Lord that was like, I want your heart back. I don't have your heart. And so I know that to your point, like, there were opportunities that the Lord was like, hey, you don't have to, like, it's not about, like, oh, I want you to go correct your sons and make sure that they know they screwed up. The Lord wanted to reconcile Eli to his sons and get that family straight and get the sons back in right standing with their father and then ultimately getting all of them in right standing with God. Mm-hmm. So I think there's even part of that too that's important to remember in all of this is that this isn't the Lord being like, hey, you're my enemies. Mm-hmm. There's only one, which we can understand when you look at the entirety of the word. There's one clear enemy who God does not like. That is the enemy. People can be affected by that enemy and can be tempted, coerced, seduced by Satan. 
and it's the enemy at work in them. But the humans themselves are not God's enemies. The Lord is trying to, hey, come on, you're being deceived. You're missing it. That, like that permissiveness that started happening in the temple or the tabernacle, the Lord had the desire to get them in right standing. Hey, let's, let's not do that. So that that's my ultimate point is like, I'd be a bad dad if like the first time Jude did something that I didn't want to, I was like, all right, no video games for a week. Well, mm. Dude, I didn't even mm. know that was like, no, I'm going to give, hey, let's not, let's not do that. Right. Right. Hey, I know you're joking around. Don't talk to mom like that. And then he does again. But hey, it, man, you know what I'm saying? At some point, though, he has to know that you're meaning that you mean 100%. business. hundred percent. Right? And, and that's and what the, I'm the, saying. That you're, yeah. My my point of having to follow through with what I've told you are the consequences. That's the most loving thing I can do as a Absolutely. father. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it gives so, me a firm foundation yes. to stand on. Like, I know where my dad stands. Mm-hmm. It's not he's not mashed potatoes, but he's. <laughs> and those you know, two, he's, he's Hoffney gonna, and Phineas, I think deep down probably desired their dad to come in and say, what are you doing in here? Well, they needed him to. He, they they needed absolutely him needed him to because he was the OG. You knew a great-great-grandpa Aaron. Who had to do the same thing with his sons. Like, like the Lord put his sons to death for, for, a, for a, a false offering as well. Yes. So, Crazy. Um, I mean. Sorry. I just That's a very fascinating thing <laughs> to see running through this is the father's love and the fatherly role that's important in this is that if Eli steps in and does his role as a father, we we put out this fire immediately. Sure. Man, and then you see the, the trickle down, like micro to macro, one family trickles into Israel, trickles into Israel's worship, trickles yep. into like the, the whole country being led astray, all of God's yeah. people being led astray, all from... Well, David and Solomon. All from Eli, you know, not that it was all on him, like you mentioned earlier, but certainly... You know his, his his abdication of his fatherly role to discipline his kids and, and to lead them in the way of the priesthood mm-hmm. uh, led to a huge macro effect of of disobedience for the whole country, uh, where God stepped in and renewed their worship, um, and certainly you know uh, David uh, through David they experienced you know far greater than they had ever lost right you know whenever mm-hmm. God restored the, the the ark back to Jerusalem, um, they had a prosperous you know. A great time of, of of peace and of national prosperity. So it wasn't like it was all lost forever, but it certainly was a. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that had to happen first in order to get get things right again. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> revival had to break out. I don't know how we get back to songs. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it might be a hard break. Okay, back this to was the, really uh, good. Back to David's songs. Fast forward a month from now, we move part twenty eight. <laughs> Uza but, again, <laughs> bro. But like, I I don't know. I feel like the songs being sung probably were not great, if I had to guess. But then, as we see, once David, because you have to realize when David starts doing his research with the priests and the scribes, he would have started connecting these dots that we're connecting right now with our listeners mm-hmm. and he would have been like, Oh my gosh, we really messed this up bad. Yeah. I'm shocked. We're all still here. Sure. I'm shocked that God hasn't killed us all. Well, sorry, you know, but you know what I'm saying? The tornado, whatever way you want to look at it, that yeah. we're not all gone. Um, and those poor farmers who all just died when they peeked into, they opened it up. 
They oh, touched man. it and opened it up. These dudes didn't even Gone. know what was about to happen. Boom. Right. right. And I love, though, what that one guy did. I forgot his name, but Eliezer, how he... Someone knew their Bible somewhere, and he consecrated his son. He's like, you know what, son? We're out here in the in the woods, kind of like in, in Delhart, so to speak, as Delhart is to Texas. That's literally where this city was in, the, in like, Israel. Mm-hmm. We're on the fringes here, but I'm going to consecrate you, mm-hmm. and... Here's what you do, and here's what you definitely don't do, as the law says, and you're going to watch over this thing. But what's crazy is, is as David was connecting all these dots, going back to what I was saying originally, is his songs, like, radically shifted. And I just wonder if maybe these lackadaisical songs that are not awesome, and when you read them out loud, you're like, that just sounds like a Brian Adams song. I wonder if that is the effect of I'm just throwing it out there. We're not taking entirely seriously mm-hmm. what we've been tasked with doing. And the more serious we get about it and living that life you were talking about, Teal, if if our songs are gonna change and our reverence and the holiness of God and those types of things in our songs is just going to rise and rise and rise. Well, just I'm, I'm going to look this up because I want to make sure I have this right. Y'all keep going. I'm yeah, going just, just throwing it out there. Um, hmm. You know, if I don't have my, my phone on me, but uh, one of my buddies, I'm going to quote here. He's a awesome. This worship. is what I was. So yeah. to your point, when you're talking about these songs that are full of emotion and not taking into account the reverence of who God is, it makes me think of uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and Mm. desperately sick who can understand it. I, the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's what it makes me think of is like, Mm. if you want to filter me, the holy presence of God through your feelings to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's how, like, if that's how you want to filter me is through your emotions, that's the exact outcome you're going to get. You're going to get this emotional, weak, frail God. Temporary. Temporary. Uh, Fragile. Um, relationship that's all contingent upon emotion. Yeah. And you can put that through any other kind of emotion. If, if your emotions are this staunch and hard, then you're going to filter God through that thing where God is hard and far off and distant and performance-based. Mm-hmm. So it, what I, the reason I bring this up is that the way that I feel has almost got to be se- – it has to be secondary mm-hmm. to Must what be. the Word says. Must be the card. So it's like you've got to – I know this is not the, probably the right word. You've got to compartmentalize your emotions and set them aside. What does the word say about who God is? And if my emotions don't line up with that, my emotions change, not God. Yeah, for sure. Because I sure. think what is happening in a lot of songs is that God is being or attempting to be reshaped and molded to fit into the emotions yep. that I'm currently feeling. Bro, that's so sure, good with that sure. verse in there. Can you can you read that one more time? Yeah, yeah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, no. according to the fruit of his deeds. No. 
So his ways and his deeds. It's very interesting. Because hmm. your, your emotions, yeah. if you live emotionally, that's going to come out in your behavior, the way that you, like, you're, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're a highly emotional person, that's oh, going man. to come out in poor decisions. Oh. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to think about myself in my young 20s when I was just all emotions, no like, no breaks. It was just all emotions. So many bad decisions, so many uh, according to his ways, Teal's ways, and according to the fruit of his deeds. This is the fruit of the thing you chose. Yeah. You yeah. were emotional. You reached out to so-and-so. Sheesh. You know what I'm saying? Like, to all reward those things. everyone according to. Oh, I've never seen that in the end of that verse. It's a, I mean, it's a good, like a real simple uh, theology of worship there, right? The, whatever you huge. whatever you worship, you will become. So when you worship I your emotions, worship be on a you, rock solid you become emotionally... Uh, dependent, right? Mm -hmm, right. It's no wonder why we see so much uh, emotional, mental health things going on because oh we're gosh, we're man. so fixated on it, and we're so we worship it essentially, right? Above above all things is how how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking, uh, and whenever we do that, we're we're going into Jeremiah seventeen ten territory that, that the Lord's giving us according to our our ways and according to our deeds. Well, we've removed um, accountability from your feelings. Yeah, so you know what I'm saying. It's, so like it's that's the shaky. It's it's it volatile. becomes so shaky because it's, if it's if if accountability makes me feel bad about the way that I'm feeling, then I've got to reconcile that. So society as a as a whole has started to say, absolutely not. You may not hold me accountable. You can only you have two options. You can either support or praise how I feel. And so people are worshiping themselves. They themselves yeah. become the idol. Yeah. And I mean, it is what I think is fascinating about this. The enemy, Satan, has convinced lots of people not to worship him, yeah. but to worship themselves. And by worshiping themselves, by proxy, they are worshiping him. Isn't that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. is fascinating because you, you then, because that's what, that's ultimately was the downfall of Satan was I'm, I'm pretty legit in my own right here. God, I can stand up next to you. That's the fall of Satan. That's the fall of Adam and Eve. You can become like God's mm. little G's setting yourself mm. up against the Holy God. So it, that whole, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That's what the word says about your emotions, your feelings, your desires, all of those things have to be filtered through the word and the presence of God. If there's anything left after filtering it through those things, then that's worth keeping. But if my feelings and my emotions and um, my preferences seem to fight against the presence of God, that has to go. Mm -hmm. But what is happening in society is the presence of God is still a standard and that standard makes people feel uncomfortable because that standard has to make you ask, you might be wrong, you know, and I, not to quote Talladega Knights, but Ricky Bobby's <laughs> like, I built my life on that. Yeah. You know, he's like, if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> he's like, well, sure you can be. You can be second. You can be third. Shoot. You can be fourth. You know, like he goes through that. But I laugh about that because that's what people are building their life on is, well, my feelings come first, my emotions, you know, how I'm feeling about it. I need to feel a certain way 
to be happy. Hmm. And I'm, I will say this. I want to be very clear in the way that I'm communicating this. This isn't just the world, quote unquote, non-Christians. I come into contact and I myself wrestle with this. Sure. There's certain days when I wake up and I don't feel like reading my Bible. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like doing those things. But what I have to remind myself is the presence of God, the word says what it says. If my emotions and my feelings don't line up with that, I don't change the word. I don't change the presence of God. I change mm-hmm. my emotions the way that I feel. Yeah. Which makes me think of how... Um, <laughs> trying Go. to jump right back in. <laughs> But what that makes me think of is some of my most, like, I've led worship before, and I know this has happened with you guys, and someone comes up after, and they're like, my son was filled with the Holy Spirit during worship, or uh, my leg was broken, and now I'm running, and, and it happened during worship. Meanwhile, I'm up there not feeling a thing. <laughs> angry i'm so glad you went to this like (laughs) i had an argument with my wife before yeah or i don't feel any goosebumps you know nothing's going on and yet after worship all these miracles happened Mm -hmm. and you're like okay so i think in that as i'm sitting here listening to us talk i'm like what if God's trying to show me something through that? I should be asking why. Uh, why? Like, why Why when, when I'm on, like, some emotional high after worship and it was, like, awesome, do I think that that was a great set, yet when clearly signs and wonders and miracles are happening, the things that are the fruit of the kingdom of God being near, according to Jesus himself, and I don't feel anything, I'm c- kind of disappointed. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and, and my disappointment is rooted in, uh, it's actually not about you, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Dude, sure, that's, sure. Which is so, hello. That yeah. is very, very true. Because, that, <laughs> again, you go back to the idea of, like, filtering your feelings and emotions through the presence of God. And it's like, was there was there fruit of God's presence? Yeah. Did people have their lives changed? Yeah. Did people get saved? Yeah. Well, I didn't feel anything. So? <laughs> What's that got to do with it? Yeah. yeah right, no, right, nobody right. asked you. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. Like that whole concept of like, well, if it was good, then I would have felt something too. No. Because you even think, I mean, roll this thing all the way back to the, you know, the traveling tent. I'm sure the amount of sacrificing they're doing on a daily basis, it couldn't just be all like signs and wonders and lightning and thunder constantly. Like there were some days where it was just like, this is my job. This is my thing. You've brought, you know, yeah, that's, great. Yeah, that's good to see you. Like, I mean, like that whole thing is like you're, you're doing. And then there would have been sometimes where you're like, whoa, you know, because think about it. The day of atonement, the one day at the one day a year and you go into the Holy of Holies. So think about that. In 365 days, the high priest is experiencing the raw, unadulterated power of God. One day out of the entire year. Man, what was that like? Do the other 364 days negate the one? No. Do you do all the 364 to get to one? I don't know. Sure. But I don't know. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the, the proof and evidence of feeling the presence of God is not why we continue to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why the, 
you know, God's presence doesn't filter through our emotions. Our emotions filter through the presence of God. Because I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think in my younger days, when I was an immature worship leader, that I, I shouldn't say when I was an immature <laughs> worship leader because I still wrestle with this. But when I was younger, this was a regular thing of like, oh man, this like, you know, we'd be at like a youth service and like something broke out and it was amazing. Oh man, we got to do that again next week. Well, shoot. Now we're, now we're chasing the moment. No longer are we chasing Jesus. Right. Right. right? So now we're, now we're fitting Jesus into the service box. Okay. What did we do in that service that was so profound? Let's do it again. Well, now we're trying to mold Jesus (laughs) into, we did these four songs and then this guy prayed to have him pray every time. You know, who spoke? He, he carried spoke. the cart this way. Yeah. You know, that was last week. <laughs> that was last week that that worked. God has a deep desire to do something new sure. this week. So we get back up here and we do service week in and week out and week in and week out. You're not trying to chase the previous week's high. God, what do you want to do this week? I don't know. I mean, dude, I, I will say this honestly. Those big, powerful knockdown drag out moments, I don't think I could sustain them every single week. Yeah. I think it'd be really hard because you and I mean, we all know this when we've had some of those like powerful, you know, we have Zion services which happen at the beginning of every year. We've had some Zion services where I go home like knocked out and the next day I am worn out. I can't do that. I don't know if I can physically do that every single week right so there's almost like a grace that's built into it where the lord's like hey guess what it was just totally normal for you and while it was normal for you i was knocking out all these people in the back. <laughs> yeah for sure and in the yeah. week that it's knocking you out all these people in the back are just having a great time yeah. and that's how i work <laughs> because i do what i want with who i want how i want when i want yep. yeah yeah but i love that you brought that up because it is so important to mention that because Man. that the, the the feeling and emotion thing is just it's a it's Man. deceitful yeah. the heart is deceitful sure and wicked sure. above all things it well frees it gives you freedom from not having to to feel something every time or, or feeling so guilty great. for not feeling something you or this normal. kind of like you know yeah. hey i'm just going to come and i'm going to sing sing these songs to the best of my ability today as an offering to the lord and sure if I'm if I'm emotionally feeling it, great. If I'm not, I'm still going to sing them with 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 passion and 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 execute them, and trust that the Lord's doing work that I just yeah. Well, think I'm about how much it would it. mess up your relationship if your wife, every time <laughs> you went out on a date, was like, "I hope this is like our yeah. wedding." Yeah, it's a good analogy. And you're like, really is, what? Yeah. You're like, well, you know, you wowed me on our wedding day, so. <laughs> I hope you can keep up with that. And you're like, I can't do that every time we go out. Like sometimes <laughs> we're gonna go walk the mall, get a pretzel and go home. Cause that's all I can manage. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Any sounds good right <laughs> but now. Dude, but the point <laughs> is I'm spending time with you. Yeah. But if I get locked into how we spend, like now I'm filtering Katie through, well, it better wow me like it did, you know, our first date when we just stayed up till 4 a.m. talking about all the amazing stuff. Well, mm-hmm. we haven't, you know, I think this is why, I mean, not, not to go off on this tangent, this is why so many marriages end up imploding is because it's like, well, it's not magical anymore. Yeah. No kidding. That's the point. The, <laughs> the morphine is warm, worn off. Mm-hmm. Now you've got to do the work. Now you've got to do the stuff. Now you have to start sacrificing. Now you have to start putting them first. For sure. Because the morphine's wearing off. Dopamine. 
dopamine, all those things. But, but what my point being, like, you go in and get surgery, and you leave, and you're like, man, broke my leg, doesn't even hurt. Yeah. The morphine will wear off yeah. at some point. This is true. This is true. And then you got to start doing physical. You have to do all that stuff to build it up. You're doing the same thing with your relationship with the Lord. So if it's if it's all about these emotional highs, these big knockdown, drag out moments, and even referencing this all back to some of David's early Psalms where it's so emotional. Very. It's all emotion. It's like emo David. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so hard for me. Why do you hate me? Why are you trying to squash me? And the Lord, I'm sure, is like, I'm going to write all this down so that you <laughs> come back and you have to see all this yeah. at some point. Yeah. You know? Or for us to look at now and like look it's back and see. It's for us to look see, at and be like, oh my and gosh. see the maturity process that yes. God took him through. That's really cool. And I wish someone had told me that or at least pointed it out. Hey, Phil, yes, these Psalms are very emotional, but have you considered the timeline? That timeline is is of, pretty pretty amazing of David's process and growing up, and also too, I want to bring this into this feelings stuff, um, into and how, you know, God will move and do all these crazy miracles, literally on days when I'm like, I didn't even feel like I was there. What? Like, let's tie that now into songs. There are some songs we sing that are kind of dry, but they've got the gospel in them. Oh, man, come on now. And they've got, they might be dry and old, but they've got theology and right thinking and right approaching of God in them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not feeling the thing, but it's talking about God correctly versus this, you know, whatever and thank God emotions wear you out after a while, or yeah. else we might live here forever. Um, but these things come and go pretty quick. But these like really emotional, like, and but I'm again like we talked about in the last week. It's like where is what is where is God in this? Yep. Where you know what what is this? It's kind of like this like marsh, this swamp, lyrical swamp. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak yeah, yeah. it's like a Where all the ground feels the same yeah am i close to the shore or am i in the middle am i getting further is that an alligator yeah you know well what it makes me think of is we you know we've cracked it back open a couple of times but we've gone back to you know we've done heart of worship a couple of times and there's something when you read those lyrics those have like that the, the emotional feel good in that song is non-existent because of what the song is about when the music fades and all is stripped away and i simply come Longing just to be, uh, longing something to bring something, something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song or a song in itself is not what you have desired. That for a worship leader to sing that pre-chorus undoes all of the emotional calisthenics Mm -hmm. that we go through trying to generate these powerful moments. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have desired. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You search much deeper within the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Mm. I'm coming back to the heart of words. I mean, it's, you sing a song like that, the mm. um, the emotional uh, the emotional feel goods are gone. Because what it does is it's stripping. You know, we talk about the thing beneath the thing, or the thing is not the thing. Mm. It's the thing underneath the thing, underneath the thing, underneath the thing. And then you get down there and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all this worship leading to make myself feel better, and I need people to tell me that I'm doing a good job. 
because the presence of God really isn't enough. And I don't know, you know, like oh, you, mm. you start going through that. That's the stuff God's trying to Bro. like, yeah, yeah. God's trying to get, let's to. take the gloves off. Can I take the gloves <laughs> yeah, go, off? Go ahead. If I'm being real, when I was younger, a lot of times when I was picking these highly emotional, before I started thinking about what I was singing, there was something in my heart that wanted to manipulate the room Mm -hmm. into an experience that would leave them saying, wow, that was awesome, and that guy is awesome. Dude, you are gloves fully (laughs) off. (laughs) Because I, I completely connect with that. Like, that... So real. You want... There's a desire for people to walk away and be like, man, that guy's got something. Worship leaders, I hope you're listening. And I will say... Tell and make it a highlight. It's not... (laughs) I think, too, what I'm... What's important about this is if if that's happened, it's it's part of it. It's part of the growing process. Mm -hmm. You've got to run into some of that ugly stuff so that you can actually come face to face with it and be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that that's what was in here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you. Right? Mm-hmm. It's all about you. So those mm-hmm. moments, it's it's hard because you have to come face to face with at that point in my life, I was not concerned about lifting up the name of Jesus. I was concerned about lifting up the name of Teal and mm-hmm. making sure Teal still had a place at the table. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, sure. When God already had promised a place at the table. That's it right there. You're a part of the body. That's it. But guess what? You can't get hung up on whether you're the liver or the elbow or the kneecap or the eyeball or the back, you know, whatever it is. Oh, we're Jesus. all we're, <laughs> we're, oh, we're all a part of the body of Christ working as a unit to bring glory to Jesus. Oh. Not to us, because I do think, I mean, especially when I was younger, I still probably wrestle with this at times, but when I was younger, I wanted to make sure, I, am I doing a good job? Is what I bring to the table valuable? Do you like me? These things beneath the thing beneath it, there's this, all this self-value, there's all this, you know, poor self-esteem, all these, you know, issues that are hung up in all of this. And I'm leading worship, trying to, trying to find the presence of God while wading through all this junk that I don't know what to do with. And the Lord is being so gracious, allowing that to happen while he's pulling, you know, stripping things away. And the next time you get up and the next time you get up, the next time you lead and you just slowly, but surely the Lord's working things out in you. Mm-hmm. But yes, like that, I'm so glad you said that as well as that. That I think is one of those things that probably a lot of worship leaders are like, I'm never saying that out loud. <laughs> yeah. You sure, have to. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to find a place where you can be able to confront it, first of all, so then we can admit to it and God can start doing something with it, right? Yeah. It's not like that's that's the idea here is that it's not, you're not the first person to come face to face with. I wanted people to like me, so I picked songs so that people would think I did a good job and that I did something special, and that if I get up again, people are gonna be like, "Oh man, if he's up, I know something good's gonna happen." Mm-hmm. Would you say that mm. this is something that, I mean, I, I hate to make absolute statements, but every worship leader goes through at some every point. One I, I, re- I mean, yes. I'm not a worship leader, but I also went through that too. And, you know, yes. and, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, I think it's just something that's part of the maturing process of, 
of and God's so gracious, like you mentioned, and kind to place you in the in the right place at the right time with the right authority over you to to correct and to guide you through that. But I think it's something everyone, you know, if we're honest, um, unless maybe <laughs> maybe someone someone here is just 18 years old and just has it all figured out and like is is super humble. But I mean, it's it's part of the process of 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 God. I think refining. it has to be. Yeah. I mean, again, we use the example of our relationships with our wives. There were things that I didn't understand and I was trying to achieve something. I was trying to manipulate something in my relationship with Katie to get something that I wanted, not realizing you, you, you like me and, and I have to be okay with you liking me, even though I've got these hangups, I've got these things, you accept me, you love me, but over time, I love you that I want to work on those things, right? The dumb stuff I did at 23 when Katie and I were dating she loved me, but I think in the back of my head, there's a part of both of us that's like, yes, but at some point, let's stop doing that, right? Yes, at some point, <laughs> let's stop eating, you know, eating out every single night of the week and staying up till three o'clock in the morning and, you know, getting fixated on making music till five o'clock. And you know what I'm saying? Like all of those things are endearing at first. And then at some point she's like, and let's move on mm-hmm. and let's grow up and that there's a part of that, that the Lord's like, the Lord meets you where you're at. But in our process of getting to know the Lord, the Lord's like, come on, mm-hmm. come on, mm-hmm. come a little further. Let's talk about that. Right. Yes. We're going to talk about the tabernacle. Yes. These are the labor moments. Hey, let's talk about that. Which can I say, that's, what's wonderful about if you're not familiar with the tabernacle approach and worship, go back and listen to other episodes and go through them. Because it kind of takes the all of this out of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't totally take it out of it, but it helps with the process. And one, there's already an order that's fashioned. Mm-hmm. And it's almost in a way harder to manipulate. You can still, God's still going to work on you, and you can still have those issues, of course. But what I'm saying is, is because there's a prescription and a way to do it, and it affects the songs you choose and the order and what's going on, it becomes more about, oh, I'm here to serve this rather than this thing is here to serve me. Sure. And it helps put you in a right I wish I would have had it at a younger age. Totally. To help, to, to, you know, we talk about this a lot, uh, getting away from subjective to right. objective. Right, so like. Standard picking songs and looking at a worship set and looking at a, a worship event objectively as opposed to subject. Man, that went, that was awesome tonight. What did we do? It, well, you didn't do anything, right? You're not at the center of this. You're not, you know, the, I will say the danger is the second we get into trying to recreate that, now you're conjuring the presence of God. Mm. Now, now it's like, well, if we say the things right again, right, we're right, we're right into a weird spell book. Mm-hmm. Now you, you say the right things, you drop the right ingredients into the cauldron, mix it up, and poof, you get these. You Those get people this are out there. <laughs> the Lord is looking to day in and day out. I want you to see something new about me today. Uh-huh. Hey, the, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like you go back to the manna, when they would stash the manna, it would rot. So the promise that are the things that God was doing yesterday, they don't, they don't, you don't just con- like, 
<laughs> recreate the. You don't the... recreate like okay. I had this. Amazing what were the variables? Moment. Yeah, I had this amazing moment with the Lord. It's like superstition. It's like okay, I did this. What did you? I got up. Before? I took a shower yeah. first, and I had a cup of coffee, and I did these things. And if I do all of that over again, then I have that same thing. And the Lord's like, again, I'm going to keep referencing these our relationships with our wives. We don't all keep going on the same first magical date, trying to recreate. Katie and I went to Payway. <laughs> Back when we had one. Yep. It was an awesome first date. We had an amazing time. Talked for like four hours. We're in there. Can you imagine how weird that'd be? If at 38 years old, I'm still like, every time we get a babysitter, I'm like, all right, I'm taking you to Payway. And she's like, I'm done with this. Like, I do not want to go to Payway anymore. I don't want to like, but that, the ridiculousness of that is this idea of trying to keep recreating these, what were all the variables? I got to get everything right. I'm going to wear the same exact outfit. I'm going to do my hair the same. You know, it's like (laughs) this time capsule frozen of like, I'm going to keep trying to recreate this. And Katie all the while is like, let's make some new memories. For sure. Like, let's let's explore some other things. And the Lord's like begging, like, let's go do some other stuff. Like, great. You had an awesome night of worship. That's really cool. Next week when you do it again, don't try and conjure that up again. Let's go find the next thing. Yeah. I've got something new and fresh for you in this next thing. Let's go do that. I was talking with this guy the other day who's in his 60s now, I believe. An incredible man of God, like a true prophet to the body of Christ, like sits in that seat. Everyone knows it. And he said something. He goes, you know, some people will get stuck. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's somebody that I look at his walk with Jesus and I'm like, dang. And he just goes, glory, glory. And he says, we have to progress with God seasonally. We have to keep moving with him. And he said, I don't mean progress as in become progressive. If you're going that way, you're totally missing the whole thing. You know, you see, not, I do not mean woke when I say progressive or progress. But we have to progress in maturing. We have yeah. to move forward. Yeah. Grow, we grow. have to move forward yeah. with yes. him. You know, God is interested in us moving forward with him. And he wants, wants us to go there yeah which is such a such an honor but as we all know if we're talking wives well what happens with wives is we make babies and we help we all have children here well what's involved with raising children a lot of dying to Mm -hmm. yourself and growing up and there are more days that look nitty-gritty and one two three abc than you know your four-hour first date uh, you still have wonderful moments, and it actually gets richer, not less rich. Yeah, it actually gets more, f- more fulfilling, not less fulfilling. But in that, there's a lot of growing up that just happens. Um, and I think that happens in our songs. It should happen in our songs. Yeah. And it's amazing when I look at the people, you know, because some of these guys personally know, know them or have been around them. The people that have those deep, rich walks with Jesus that, like, after a few conversations, I'm like, whoa, you you are walking with God, brother. Like, their songs are radically different than the guys that, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, or just like, I, don't, I hate to say this, but they're like p- spiritual Peter Pans, and they, like, can't grow up. That's a, man, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket, spiritual <laughs> Peter Pans, where it's like you keep trying to go back to Neverland. Yeah. You keep trying to live in that same place. Because I can think of one, I'm not going to say the name, but I can think of one kind of worship group that over the course of the last five years have put out a lot of music. What I hear now sounds exactly like the first album. It's very much the exact same mm-hmm. thing. 
But when I think about somebody like Matt Redman, his heart is still very knit close to God, but there is a growing up that's happened where Matt Redman's songs that are coming out now versus not that the early ones were bad, but you can tell there is a huge progress walk with the Lord that's happening is that he wasn't just sitting there trying to rehash the same thing. Well, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord worked. We'll just keep doing that thing. Let's just keep churning out that, that thing worked. So let's keep doing that. He was like, no, man, we're going to keep, we're going to keep going. Then we're going to get to 10,000 reasons. Then we're going to get to, you know, all of these other suffering. Then you, then you arrive at, you know, we praise you and son of suffering where you're like, these are songs I can't even believe. I'm hearing the same Jesus, just the bridge. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. But that I think is the, that really is what we're, I think getting to in all of this is that God's desire in us writing songs is our songs reflect the growth yeah, and the progress and the maturing that God's doing in our lives that you don't, Hey, something worked right. Still for me, one of the, my favorite songs that I've ever written is we will never need the cross again. I loved it. I love everything about it. But if I kept, if I was like, this is it, I'm planting my flag here. I'm just going to keep writing this song over and over again because this one hit. Right? This one. When is, you say the song, you mean like the formula and the, the, the type form, of like, song? It, it, yeah. it's, the, it's the most streamed song we have in our catalog is that song. Okay. So that's proof. This is what everybody likes. We're just going to keep writing this one. Mm-hmm. That's the banger. And Lord's like, I have so much more for you. It's a really beautiful snapshot of what I was doing in your life. And I want to keep taking more snapshots, but we want to keep growing up. Right. We don't want this Peter Pan thing yeah. where it's like, you know, I kind of laugh a little bit. I think there was an SNL skit a long time ago where it was like Peter Pan and it was like, <laughs> like in his forties <laughs> and he was like overweight and still wearing all the tights and the whole thing. And everybody's like, so weird. So, something about this doesn't, you know, those, or like hooks people are, he's yeah. out there trying to do all the stuff in the movie. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're, old like they even the kids even say it they're like right. you're old peter you know like we, we don't want to get stuck in worship song neverland where we're not growing up and we're not progressing through it because we get stuck in this well this was a really great moment mm-hmm. i really mm-hmm. enjoyed this right hmm. now i know we could probably talk for another hour but I do think we have to cut it off. Okay. <laughs> Dang it. Because we're at like an, at least an hour and a half yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, at least. So I'm going to sign us off. This has been fantastic. Again, we are Tabernacle Worship. You can find us on all social media platforms, the, the normal places, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all those places. We are the worship department, the worship team of Trinity Fellowship Church based in Amarillo, Texas. I'm Teal. This is Phil. This is Steven signing off. <laughs> We'll see I'm you good, man. <laughs>